Welcome to this week's episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. On this week's episode, we are going to celebrate the coming of the Yom Kippur holiday, the Day of Atonement, with some traditional Yom Kippur vignettes of inspiration. Let's get started. This is an excerpt translated from its original Hebrew from the memoir of Rabbi Moshe Sigal, a Hasidic Jew who was active in the struggle to free the Holy Land from British rule. In those years, the area in front of the Kotel did not look as it does today. Only a narrow alley separated the Kotel and the Arab houses on the other side. The British government forbade us from placing an ark, tables, or benches in this alley. Even a small stool could not be brought to the Kotel. The British also instituted the following ordinances designed to humble the Jews at the holiest place of their faith. It is forbidden to pray out loud, lest one upset the Arab residents. It is forbidden to read from the Torah. Those praying at the Kotel had to go to different synagogues in the Jewish quarter to conduct their Torah readings. It is forbidden to sound the shofar on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The British government placed policemen at the Kotel to enforce these rules. On Yom Kippur of that year, 1930, I was praying at the Kotel. During the brief intermission between Musaf and Mincha prayers, I overheard people whispering to each other, Where will we go to hear the shofar? It is impossible to blow it here. There are as many policemen as people praying. The police commander himself was there to make sure that the Jews will not, God forbid, sound a single blast that closes the fast. I listened to the whispering and thought to myself, can we possibly forego the sounding of the shofar that accompanies our proclamation of the sovereignty of God? Can we possibly forego the sounding of the shofar which symbolizes the redemption of Israel? True, the sounding of the shofar at the close of Yom Kippur is only a custom, but a Jewish custom is Torah. I approached Rabbi Yitzhak Hornstein, who served as the rabbi in our congregation, and said to him, give me a shofar. He replied, what for? I'll blow, I responded. What are you talking about? Don't you see the police? I'll blow, I responded. The rabbi abruptly turned away from me, but not before he could cast a glance at the prayer stand at the left of the alley. I understood the shofar was in this stand. When the hour of blowing approached, I walked over to the stand and leaned against it. I opened the drawer and slipped the shofar into my shirt. I had the shofar, but what if they saw me before I had the chance to blow it? I was still unmarried at the time, and following the Ashkenazic custom, I did not wear a talit. I turned to a person praying by my side and asked him for his talit. My request must have seemed a little strange to him, but the Jews are a kind people, especially at the holiest moments of the holiest day, and he handed me his talit without a word. I wrapped myself in the talit. At that moment, I felt like I had created my own private domain. All around me, a foreign government prevails, ruling over the people of Israel, even on their holiest day and at their holiest place and we are not free to serve our God. But under this talit is another domain. Here I am under no dominion. Here I shall do as God commands, and no force on earth will stop me. When the closing verses of the prayers begin, Hear, O Israel, blessed be the name, and thy Lord thy God, were proclaimed, I took the shofar and blew a long resounding blast. Everything happened very quickly. Many hands grabbed me. I removed the talit from over my head and before me stood the police commander who ordered my arrest. I was taken to the prison in the old city and an Arab policeman was appointed to watch over me. Many hours passed. I was given no food or water to break my fast. At midnight, the policeman received an order to release me and he let me out without a word. 
I then learned when the chief rabbi of the Holy Land, Rabbi Avraham Yitzhak Cook, heard of my arrest, he immediately contacted the secretary of the High Commissioner of British Palestine and asked that I be released. When his request was refused, he stated that he would not break his fast until I was free. The High Commissioner resisted for many hours, but finally, out of respect for the rabbi, he had no choice but to set me free. For the next 18 years, until the Arab conquest of the Old City in 1948, the shofar was sounded at the Kotel every Yom Kippur. The British well understood the significance of this blast. They knew that it would ultimately demolish their reign over our land, as the walls of Jericho crumbled before the shofar of Joshua, and they did everything in their power to prevent it. But every Yom Kippur, the shofar was sounded by men who knew that they would be arrested for their part in staking our claim to the holiest of our possession. This story is quite incredible. The sound of the shofar continues at the Kotel, or Western Wall, to this very day, on every Yom Kippur, signifying the end of the fast. This is a story about the Baal Shem Tov, Rabbi Israel ben Eliezer, a Jewish mystic and healer from Poland who is regarded as the founder of Hasidic Judaism. One year when the Baal Shem Tov came to synagogue on the eve of Yom Kippur, he appeared to his followers to be sad and upset about something. After the Kol Nidre prayer, he waited a while, and then the people noticed a drastic change in his mood. With renewed joy and song, he prayed the Yom Kippur evening services. After Yom Kippur, his closest disciples asked him the reason for his feelings the previous evening. He shared with them the following story. In a certain village, there lived a Jewish tenant and his wife. The non-Jewish landowner liked the family very much. Shortly after the wife had given birth to a son, both parents passed away, leaving the young boy orphaned. The non-Jewish landowner took pity on the child and took him into his home. He raised him and enjoyed spending time with the bright child and catered to his every need. The boy knew little about his origins except for what the landowner had told him, that his parents were Jewish and that they had passed away, and that he had brought the boy to his house and adopted him. The landlord promised the boy that all of his wealth would one day belong to him. He told him that his parents had left few objects for him and did not have much value, including a chumash, the five books of Moses, and a siddur, or a prayer book, which his late mother would pray from. The landowner gave the boy these items as keepsakes. One day in the fall, the boy saw the Jewish villagers were traveling on the road that led to the big city. The boy asked them where they were going, and they told him that the high holidays were coming soon, and that on Rosh Hashanah, all mankind is inscribed in the Book of Life, and on Yom Kippur, they are sealed for a good year. They explained that they were traveling to the big city to pray with large congregations of Jews, because it is more proper to pray with a minyan, or a quorum of ten men. From that moment on, the boy felt different, knowing that he came from a Jewish lineage, That night, he saw his parents in a dream. They encouraged him to return to his religion. The dreams continued nightly during the 10 days of repentance between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The child told the landowner about his dreams, and the elderly man dismissed them as foolishness. Dreams are nonsense, and he needed not pay attention, he said. But the dreams did not stop. One night, the parents spoke very strongly, telling him that he must return to his Jewish roots. By now, it was the day before Yom Kippur. The boy saw, once again, wagons full of Jews that were traveling to the city. In response to his inquiries, the Jews told him that they were preparing themselves for the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Forgiveness. 
The child felt really bad. He ran home and grabbed his mother's sitter and then ran to the city. When he came to the synagogue, they were just beginning Kol Nidre. The boy saw that all the people were dressed in white, holding their prayer books in their hands and praying with tears in their eyes. He too began to cry bitterly, but he did not know what to say. As the boy stood there with a broken heart, a great commotion ensued in the heavens. Sensing this, the Baal Shem Tov was sad, feeling empathy for the child who wished so deeply to pray as a Jew, but lacked the knowledge. He tried hard to make sure that the penitence of the child would be accepted, that he not choose, God forbid, to return to his former lifestyle. Suddenly the boy said, Dear God, I do not know what to pray or how to pray. Here, God, I give you this whole sitter. The boy opened his mother's siddur and placed it on the lectern, resting his head on the worn pages and crying bitter tears. His heartfelt prayers made a strong impression above and were accepted. It was at that moment when the Baal Shem Tov became happy, and when he began the evening service, he was filled with great joy. In another story about the Baal Shem Tov, told by the Friederike Rebbe, once during the final prayers of Yom Kippur, the Baal Shem Tov cried and pleaded more than usual. His disciples understood that there was a great prosecution above, and the situation seemed to be very grave, so they also intensified their prayers and crying. When the rest of the congregation saw this, their hearts were shattered and were also joining in the impassioned supplication. There was a young man there from the village who had come for the holidays to the Baal Shem Tov synagogue. He was completely uneducated and he stood the entire time looking at the cantor without saying anything. As a village dweller, the boy knew the sounds made by all of the different farm animals and he especially esteemed the rooster's crowing. When he heard the weeping and the outcries, his heart was shattered that he cried out loud with the sounds of a rooster saying, God have mercy. The worshippers in the synagogue were confused to hear a voice crowing like a rooster and a few of them scolded him to quiet down and they would have thrown him out had he not protested, I am also a Jew. The confusion was pierced by the voice of the Baal Shem Tov, followed by his disciples, as they hurried to finish the final prayers. The face of the Baal Shem Tov shone, and with a special melody, the repetition of the Amidah commenced. As Yom Kippur ended, the Baal Shem Tov related to his disciples that there had been an accusation leveled in the heavens, with the prosecution seeking to have a particular community sentenced to destruction. As he aroused divine mercy on the community, a great prosecution was aroused against him for encouraging Jews to settle in villages and out-of-the-way places where they were likely to be influenced by their non-Jewish neighbors. When he began to examine the behavior of the village dwellers, he saw that the situation became very grave. However, suddenly the sound of a call of a young village dweller was heard in the heavens, and its sincerity brought great pleasure above, nullifying the prosecution. The moral of this story, of course, is for us to remember not to judge others, especially those Jews of our community who may not be as educated or proficient in their Jewish practice. It was the heart and the sincerity of a young Jewish village dweller calling out to the heavens in any way that he knew how that saved the community on Yom Kippur. In the end, we should take lessons from all of these stories. Taking lessons from the two young boys who may not have been the most observant or religious people but they had joined their fellow Jewish community members on the holiest day of the year and participated in any way they could. Or the many young Jewish men who defied an empire to blow the shofar on the holiest day at the holiest site, risking their freedom and their safety. We may not realize when the small participation in your Jewish culture and practice can, in the case of one of the Jewish boys, save an entire community. Whatever small way that you choose to practice your Judaism, 
be proud and connected to your community, your ancestors, and the entire Jewish population across the globe. Wishing all of our listeners Gamar Khatima Tova. May you and your loved ones be sealed in the Book of Life. This has been another episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. Don't forget to check us out on social media at jdr.podcast and check out some of our other episodes on your favorite podcast source. We'll see you next time. Thank you.